This week's TribCast is sponsored by Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas, awarded $1.8 million in Healthy Kids, Healthy Families grants to 28 community-based organizations. The funding will support programs addressing the COVID-19 pandemic, wellness, and social detriments of health across Texas. And Texas Association of Community Colleges. Texas Community Colleges are the state's economic engine for recovery. Our colleges provide credentials that meet regional and local workforce demands. For more information, visit TACC.org. Hello and welcome to this special pollster edition of the Texas Tribune Tribcast. I'm Ross Ramsey. I'm joined this week by Josh Blank, Research Director for the Texas Politics Project at UT Austin, Jim Henson, Head of the Texas Politics Project and Co-Director of the Poll, and Darren Shaw, a Government Professor at UT Austin and Co-Director of the Poll. Um, hey gentlemen, I wanted to just dive into this latest poll. We got some interesting results back on the legislature that just ended, and I guess the legislature that is about to come, uh, we're going to have a special session starting on July 8th, um, starting with voting legislation that failed at the end of the regular session. Um, so let's start with that voting stuff. You know, what did we find out, uh, Josh, about the Texas voters and the voting legislation that was proposed in this legislature? Well, generally speaking, you know, we, I mean, one thing I should say just about the session before diving into voting is that, you know, as pollsters, I would say this is one of the, the more challenging sessions to poll, at least that I think, you know, I've been a part of. I don't know what, what, what Jim and Darren think about it, but partially just because of the breadth, the breadth of issues and the breadth of hot button issues. And not only just issues, but issues that we think that people probably have attitudes about. I mean, the legislature takes care of tons of issues every session that nobody cares about. I mean, that's kind of what most of the legislative business is. A lot, you know, very few number of people care about some of these issues a lot. But this is a session that had just, you know, pretty much every issue that you can think of as a hot button political issue was touched. And so one of the questions going in was, you know, what was this session even really about at a big level? Whereas normally we could say, oh, this was the water session or this was the bathroom session. We even refer to sessions this way, whereas this one is sort of there was so much. And so one of the things that we did was we asked just at the outset. For people to try to give us an evaluation, do they approve, disapprove, neither, just no opinion, across a range of policy topics uh, in terms of how the legislature and state leaders handled it, one of which was voting laws. Uh, and on voting laws, it was pretty much, you know, pretty evenly split. 38% of Texans approved of the job they did on voting laws, 40% disapproved. Obviously, big partisan differences. So 63% of Republicans approved of what the legislature had done. 73% of Democrats disapproved. And that's kind of, you know, I think where we start this is that, you know, a lot of these big issues in voting is a, is a good one to start with. We're just, you know, extremely polarizing uh, within the electorate. So um, what does it foretend about the about the special session to come? I mean, if voters are split like that is um, not to predict what this legislature is going to do, but they're coming back on an issue where voters are split. Jim, how does that how does that yeah, I don't, I don't mind predicting what they're going to do, at least a little. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, that number, you know, I mean, Josh talked about the the party breakdown. In 60, you know, I think it was 63 percent of Republicans approved what the legislature did. They had passed SB7. That would have been even higher. 
And so I think, you know, the, the leading indicator is that um, the legislature is likely to come down, come back. And I think that we've, you know, this is not just the polling, but I think if you take what we're seeing in public opinion and what we're hearing, you know, the signals we're getting out of the legislature, I think we can expect more of the same, but with a couple of the excesses trimmed out if you use SB7 as the baseline. Um, but, you know, opinions on elections are, you know, are very polarized along along party lines. I think we talked about this in the last, this was a big theme of the last time we were all together because we saw the more detailed results that we had strategically in the April poll. And Republicans and Democrats look at this very differently. I think that there were a couple of boundaries, like a lot of things in this session, that um, might have been a, a little hot even for the current political climate. Um, and so we won't see a couple of those things for, for the most for the most part. I'd be shocked if we don't see uh, a bill that is, you know, along this along similar lines. Anyways, SB seven move and move early uh, in order to to prevent the kind of clock leverage that the Republicans, I think, inadvertently gave Democrats during the regular session. Yeah. And I just needed to add with the polling data a little more here, a little more context is that, you know, we've been asking about voting questions throughout the session. And one of the things is that, you know, those those attitudes have intensified, but especially on the right. You know, I wouldn't say that they've moved so much among Democrats, but you've seen some movement among Republicans. I mean, to sort of reinforce Jim's expectation that the approval would be even higher had they passed SB7. When we asked in this poll whether you know the current election law should be made more strict, less strict, or left as they are now, 60% of Republicans said more strict. I think it was about 10 points higher than when we asked the same question at the beginning of the session. Still 50% of Republicans wanted to see stricter laws. But this discussion hasn't softened attitudes. Ultimately, Democrats already you know, were against this. Republicans have become more on board with it. And if anything, these attitudes have hardened more than anything, and especially on the right. But let me let me say that we're that that make that point a slightly different way using the same question. Um, when we asked this question in February, forty percent of people said they should leave the voting laws the way they are now. Right, that number is down to twenty seven. Uh, I'm sorry, it's down to twenty nine this time around. So it's eleven point drop. The percentage who said more strict was twenty seven in February. It's thirty five now. So that number is up eight. And as Josh intimated, that movement is almost entirely from people on the right. You know, one of the things that, you know, the media seems to have settled on as, you know, kind of the subject of this session, you know, taking your point about, you know, pretty disparate this time, was the um, strength of uh, really conservative issues and the kind of the swing to the right from this legislature, particularly compared to the legislature two years ago, which, you know, sort of was um, – careful in its moderation after a, an election in 2018 that that um, spooked some of the Republicans. Um, they got um, very conservative legislation on abortion, on guns, a uh, couple of culture issues like the national anthem. You know, I would probably put Medicaid expansion in here. Uh, it's a generally popular idea with um, most voters, but if you... Um, even hint that you started with Obamacare, it falls off. It obviously is not very popular with the Republican legislature or leadership. Uh, what do you see there, Darren? Is it a is is that a good read on this, or are there some cracks in this? You've also got some Republican legislators coming out and saying, "We didn't go far enough. We should have done X, Y, and Z." Right. You know, I think it's a fair characterization 
first of all. It's, it's interesting. You've had this a little bit of a pendulum uh, swing across the last few legislative sessions. I think the general consensus is, and certainly Jim and Josh know this better than I do, was that it was a pretty substantive session and, and the focus was on issues, you know, like K through 12 education and things like that, 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 you know, not only show up in the Texas polls, but show up nationally as, as being very consequential issues worthy of attention. Uh, prior to that, the previous session, you know, I guess we, we won some sort of national award for, uh, you know, best able to focus on issues that don't seem like issues to anybody else. Um, you know, and, and t- talking about, you know, I'm sorry, not to minimize them, but, but you know, bathroom bills and, and things like this that, that are probably legitimate sources of public debate. But when your legislature meets once every two years, it's not clear to me that the, you know, the public writ large thinks those are the most pressing issues facing the state. This time around, it, I think you're right. There, there was a consistency to what Republican, the Republican leadership did. It was mostly addressing these sort of meat and potato issues um, where Republicans have fairly sizable majorities in favor of the bits of legislation they were pursuing. Um, and that's the, the rationale is obvious. You know, they were satisfying a Republican base that was riled up after the 2020 election. You know, they're thinking about 2022. But, but you and I, Ross, have talked for a while. The, the Republicans in Texas have had this kind of interesting ability to identify issues where it looks like they have majority support. But they seem to, as often as not, frame them in a way or produce legislation that ends up being fairly divisive. You know, so they take an issue where voter ID is the classic one, but even, even something like, you know, banning late term abortions. But they don't kind of they don't seem to be satisfied there. They sort of push the envelope in a way that allows the Democrats, not only in the legislature, but, um, you know, Democrat, Democratic activists and Democratic supporters everywhere to kind of, you know, say, well, that's that, that, that's not a consensus bill. That's a hard right bill. And, and they're, it's pretty easy for them to rally support. And it produces a more polarized session. I mean, maybe that's inevitable. Right. Maybe anything that they said. But. But the way that the Republicans have framed issues like the vote, like the voting bill, you know, like the abortion bill, the, these sorts of things have been pretty easy for Democrats to, you know, pick apart and, you know, turn into to, to pretty partisan fights. Well, you know, I mean, I think part of that also is just I mean, you know, we don't come to a new session as without any sort of path dependency or trajectory. And, you know, right. I mean, you know, we can look back and we can say the session, you know, the legislature didn't start in 2018. And there were certainly a bunch of conservative legislative sessions that happened before that. They really picked a lot of low hanging fruit. I mean, you bring up voter ID and it's, I mean, I think I may have said this on this podcast before, and I may be the only person who thinks this way, but you know, the broad outlines of SB seven in a lot of ways were not nearly as restrictive as some of the other voting legislation that has been pursued in Texas over the last decade. It's just kind of what's left. And a lot of it is responding specifically to Houston. That's a bit of an oversimplification, but I think that's also true on some number of other issues. I mean, as you bring up, like, you know, we were used to talking about, you know, abortion, you know, related legislation. We weren't talking about, you know, limiting the window at which someone could get it to, you know, four to six weeks or outright banning the procedure. We were talking about notifying parents if a minor wants to get an abortion or making a waiting period for, you know, 48 hours. Ultimately, those things are are harmful to people who want to have contraceptive access, but they're not, you know, as extreme as kind of what we're left with. But I mean, I think that's also the nature of the path dependency. In 2018, we really moved forward for, you know, conservatives on a number of those issues. And I think they're looking at Democrats saying in 2020, you know, we're going to win, we're targeting all these seats, and they didn't do it. So ultimately, what's your excuse then for not moving forward, but you're also seeing legislation that's, you know, uniformly disapproved among Democrats. I mean, without a doubt. 
and, you know, does have majority Republican support, but still in a lot of cases, I mean, I think about like Kermit Carry is kind of an obvious example. You have 34% of Republicans who say that they oppose permitless carry. 59% of Republicans support it. You've got 86% of Democrats against it. And these are the type of issues that I think Democrats going into the campaign happy to talk about. And I think that's kind of where we're where we're at right now and sort of the dynamics here. You know, one of the questions I have watching this legislature is um, whether this is all evidence that the Republicans are more worried about Republicans than they are about Democrats, Jim. The the idea that, you know, they're emphasizing a lot of issues that are going to play, you know, just by the numbers better in a Republican primary than they would in a November general election. Um, well, I appreciate that softball since, you know, I think that. And also <laughs> since Darren put it so succinctly, like I, I, this is a slight paraphrase, Darren, but I think you said, yeah, pretty obviously they're looking, you know, they're feeling good about 2020 and they're looking forward to 2022 and, and the primaries. You know, I, I you know, I beat that horse to death. I think that's, I, I, I don't see how you don't make that argument looking at this, but I would say, I mean, it does, and I know we need to move on, but I would, it does, you know, I would kind of rotate the discussion about 45 degrees from where we've been, or maybe 90 even, and say, what's interesting is we look at like what we're seeing in public opinion in this poll, which I think, you know, gave us a really good sketch of like, you know, there's a lot of variance in the in the results in those in those legislative items. And I think it's interesting to look at where the public is and the things that Darren and, and you and Josh have been talking about in terms of where, you know, how unified Democrats are in opposition and a lot of stuff and how on some of the, the things that they that the, the majority really pushed. Republicans are a little more split. I mean, I really like Darren's formulation of, you know, the talent for like having something successful and then going, you know, what I always call a bridge too far perhaps. But, you know, I mean, it's not it's not going to be fatal to the Democrats. So the rotation for me is what's interesting is how, you know, the in some of the internal dynamics of the legislature this time, which we've talked to you and I have talked about for sure, Ross, you know, I think have to get some of the blame for that. If we look back to some of the process, a lot of the process complaints that we heard behind the scenes, that too many things were coming out of committees on split votes, um, that you know, criticisms of the agenda management and leadership in the House in the context of, you know, the dominance of the lieutenant governor over the Senate. Um, the poll really does, I think, highlight like the difference, you know, some of the differences between what's going on in the on out there in public opinion and what the legislative process right now, because of a variety of internal political institutional factors, is actually spitting out. And again, it's not, you know, I don't think you can say, I don't think it's fair to say some critics have like, oh, the legislature just didn't do what the public wanted because some are, because Republicans are divided. I mean, if you start breaking these down by party and you start comparing, you know, the rate at which, you know, the, or the, the volume at which um, Republicans were approving of what the legislature did, they mostly approved. Right. And Democrats uniformly pr pretty much disapproved, not even pretty much uniformly disapproved, as I recall. And so, you know, the question is, like, how do you get those kind of weird areas in there where Republican opinion is divided? And they, you know, there's a certain amount of like unnecessary forcing, I would say, and, you know, as a way I would put it with what Darren said. And then also, I think we can't escape this discussion without mentioning that the big outlier there 
is maybe the thing that affects the most Texans, and that's the reliability of the grid, where people uniformly kind of seems like they didn't do said didn't expect them to do a good job based on polling we did right after the crisis, and still don't don't have much faith that they've helped it. They were they were satisfied in that expectation, I guess, right? Sorry, Josh. Right. <laughs> I was saying disapproved of what they did up until that point. I mean, I should note. I mean, our our poll was in the field. Uh, overlapping with when Texans were asked to cut back on energy usage over the first time this summer that that's happened. So, I mean, it was on people's minds, but also, you know, it was on people's minds before that. We were also in the field, as it turned out, right at as Greg Abbott um, took up the cudgel on border walls um, and, and jumped into, um, you know, what used to be pure Donald Trump territory. Let's build a wall on the border with Texas and Mexico. Um, they are, as we record this, the two of them down on the border talking about this. What did we learn in this poll about immigration other than the fact that immigration and border security um, continue their dominance of um, voters' opinion on the most important issues facing the state? Darren, you want to start there? Yeah, I think you know, if we're thinking, Jim and I do this maybe more than Josh. Josh is more public-minded, I guess. But if, if, if you're looking towards 2022, um, you know, it, it's uh, – I think there's still this sense that the, you know, the state is changing in a way that's going to be favorable to the Democrats. Um, and you, you've seen some incremental improvement in Democratic performance, certainly in 2018 with Beto and then, uh, you know, Trump's underwhelming numbers in 2020. Uh, all that's true, but but uh, Jim and I have had this conversation. You keep looking for an issue where the Democrats are, are going to be able to kind of leverage some of this potential, and and so far the issues have largely kind of been around uh, these sort of voting rights things, right? They, they're, they're issues that allow Democratic activists and party people to mobilize um, some of these constituencies. But in terms of policy, you know, sort of pure policy, I, I'm. I still think you're not going to really see significant movement towards a Democratic Party at the state level until you get an issue that really cleaves the kind of current party dynamics. And the issue here that's getting a lot of traction in terms of people saying it's critical and the ratings are extremely bad, especially for the president, is border security and immigration. And that, to me, I think it's critical. I think right now, what are Republicans trying to make the 2022 elections about? about crime, about immigration. And in, in Texas, it's not a heavy lift right now. And, and so if I'm looking at 2022, I'm concerned if I'm the Democrats um, because of that. But, you know, I, I don't know what my partners think. Well, I mean, that's a good contrast with the legislative issues we were just talking about, I think. You know, if we think about, you know, Republicans maybe going a bridge too far on some of these issues that really appeal, uh, you know, ultimately to Republican primary voters and really active Republican voters and maybe have a little bit less appeal among all Republicans and, and no appeal among Democrats. Immigration is this one area where, you know, if we can, if Republicans can talk about immigration, that's the most important issue to their voters. I mean, the, the, this poll found is, you know, multiple polls have found that, you know, if you basically find your random Republican registered voter and ask them what's the most important problem facing the state, two out of three will say immigration or border security. Take that plus, you know, overwhelming majorities in favor of, you know, really almost any sort of way to deal with it, whether it's a wall, whether it's, you know, kicking the children back across the border, separating from parents, decreasing legal immigration. It does not matter. You have large Republican majorities in favor of it. And then I think in Texas, this is sort of, it's almost the opposite on the Democrats. Yeah, Democrats are have become more liberalized 
in their immigration attitudes during the Trump presidency. We can see that in the trend data, but you still have a, you know, a significant minority of Democrats, whether it be a fifth or in some cases, maybe as high as a third who are on the other side of those issues. So it's a good issue for, for Republicans to be focused on it because it mobilizes all of their voters without making these divisions. And also it, it kind of is a complicated space for Democrats because they don't really have an answer. Not that Republicans necessarily have an answer either, but their answer is more seemingly plausible. I just yeah. find the impulse to do my cover of Bob Seger is still the same. But, you know, all I'll do, instead of dating myself so explicitly, I'll just point to the fact that, you know, Josh and I have a piece in the tribu- on the Tribune that rolled out this morning that kind of summarizes a lot of the points Josh just made on this and and the galvanized, you know, as, as Darren was saying, the galvanizing force of immigration and border security for Republicans. I mean, it's just no two ways yeah. about it. Yeah, I mean, just important- to find... Yeah, ahead, let's make a, a quick point. Sorry, Josh. Uh, no. You know, a lot of issues Democrats do well because they want to spend money. And it's not necessarily that people are doing some cost benefit calculation, but they take your willingness to spend money as, as an indication of your seriousness about the problem. And so the particulars of Republican responses on border security and immigration, to me, and, and you see support for these measures, as Josh indicated, but to me, they're they're less consequential than the notion that Voters just want you to do something about this. And it seems like the Republicans want to do something. And it's not as clear the Democrats want to do something. I think that's the public opinion dynamic. Well, and Abbott's response was, was you know, to spend 250 million state dollars. So kind of, a, you know, what the Democrats do. Josh. Right. After well, the just, legislature passed a billion dollars in, right. in the budget for the first right. time. And I'll just, you know, I mean. Back in February, when we asked people whether they wanted to spend more or less or the same on a, a bunch of different areas going into the session, 60% of, I think 61% of Republicans said we should be spending, the state should be spending more on immigration and border security. The one thing I was going to say to Darren's comment too, which is it's like the police issue. It's actually the same same dynamic, which is normally the Democratic response is, well, if we have an issue with something, whether it's public schools, hospitals, etc., we're going to spend more money on it. We're going to put resources into it, except in the case of police. And that's what's putting, you know, in some ways, Democrats in a difficult position because there are lots of people who you know live in communities who don't think you know it makes sense to re, you know reduce or redirect police budgets. If anything, if they think there's a problem with the police department, it's much more consistent for Democrats and sort of liberal policy approaches to say, well, how do we spend money more effectively and more of it to improve this? And so this just sort of puts them in a in a difficult spot that Republicans are more than happy to step into and, and highlight that difference. Before our uh, next topic, we've got two more TrueCast sponsors. Independent Colleges and Universities of Texas. Private colleges, public purpose. Texas's independent colleges and universities are as diverse as the students and communities they serve. Learn more at icut.org. And Texas Association of School Business Officials. In commemoration of its 75th anniversary, the Texas Association of School Business Officials explores the history of Texas public education in a documentary short movie. Watch now at TASBO.org. I want to uh, talk a little bit about COVID, uh, mostly because, you know, the it looks like we're on the back end of the tsunami we were watching a year ago. And, you know, the numbers on, you know, public response to this pandemic and kind of where people are, were, you know, I mean, they confirm what you see kind of as you... Um, go down the street and watch full restaurants and full bars and all of those kinds of things. Jim, you want to take a whack at this one? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, again, I would point to uh, Karen Brooks Harper did a a great job writing the data up, looking at the trend data and looking at the current results in the Tribune today. And it was 
fun to work with Karen again. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, you, you capture it well. I mean, in general sense, at first glance, you see, you know, the, the kind of trend you would expect, you would expect given vaccination rates and, you know, the policy leadership, the cues we're getting from elites, all the things are converging. You know, you see concern going down. You see people feeling more safe about um, different activities. You know, you still see the partisan structure that we've seen from almost the beginning of the pandemic, you know, with between Republicans and Democrats. Um, Democrats still registering higher levels of concern, more careful behavior um, than Republicans, likely, although probably not entirely attributable to the differential impact of, of the pandemic on different communities and different social groups, and also different cues from public opinion leaders and elites along partisan and, and, and social lines, uh, similar with some of the, you know, I think one of the things that's probably less widely acknowledged that Josh has talked about a lot and talked about, I think, in the podcast that he and I did yesterday, um, uh, differences among population density that, you know, interact in interesting ways with partisanship, but are still there. And by that, I just mean higher levels of concern in more dense uh, uh, urban areas, uh, less concern in rural areas, the suburbs kind of in between. You know, I mean, I think I, the, the the things that I would flag are, you know, the kind of the forward looking pieces, which is we still have about a quarter of Texans who say I think it's about a quarter that say they're not going to get vaccinated. Um, in a in a in a question that we said, you know, have you been vaccinated? Are you planning to, you know, or are you planning to a big chunk of people are not are, not, are still not getting vaccinated. We you know, I think the public information campaigns have been successful in reducing you know, pick your description, resistance and, you know, at least hesitancy, if not outright resistance among some key groups. We saw increases in, in uh, among African-Americans and some other groups. Um, but as we begin to see, you know, yellow flags about the development of variants, you know, I, I it's, it's hard not to have a little bit of worry about uh the share of people who are just going to skip it. Now, some of them are probably not too much of a problem, but some it might be. Darren, Josh, either you got a take on the COVID numbers? Sure. Um, just to point out, um, we have a, a very, I, I love this battery and I can brag about it because it's not my battery. I think Josh and, and Jim really developed it, but just this sort of range of activities that people are feel are safe or unsafe. And, uh, you know, we talked last time about how there was a significant um, spike up is probably the wrong word given the context, but increase in uh, the number of uh, percentage of people saying they felt it was safe to do things like, you know, go grocery shopping all the way down to go to a bar. I think that's the, those are the two anchor points. Like everybody says it's safe to go grocery shopping now. And uh, still, there's about half the public, though, that says they, they feel it's not safe uh, to, to go to a bar. And I've started to wonder how many people were are afraid of going into bars just generally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we never really specified why one might be afraid to do these things. Right, exactly. So it's, it's, you know, so <laughs> I might never leave. Yeah, right? that's something that's something we probably ought to think about moving forward. But um, but you know, we've talked previously about a, a you know an intercept change um, as opposed to a. Uh, what we call sort of coefficient change. And that is that we, we see the same kind of variance across these range of activities, right? People still see them as differentially safe, 
but everybody's kind of moved up about 10 or 15 points over the last month and a half or two months um, with respect to what they think is safe. It, it's still, you know, it's still the case. And there is this huge partisan divide um, that exists. There's also an age divide in here as well about what people think is safe. And, you know, despite what I've seen going downtown a few times in the last month, it, it still looks like about half uh, of the sample population doesn't think it's safe to do some of these activities. We would consider going back to, to a really normal kind of society. Yeah. Josh? Yeah, I mean, I'll just add, you know, one other piece to this, uh, and I have, you know, some other thoughts, but I mean, one thing that I think is kind of interesting in all this, uh, sort of thinking about yesterday is looking at this data is, is you know, highlighting sort of the vaccine differentials and the partisan differentials uh, in vaccination rates. And, you know, among, and these are registered voters. So, I mean, one of the things I should say about all of our vaccine numbers is that the socioeconomic status of, of our sample is going to be higher than it is for the adult population in Texas. If our numbers seem a little bit higher, that's because they are a little bit higher because it's a population that's registered to vote that goes along with a lot of other factors. Anyway, so, you know, we found 60% of people said they were already vaccinated voters. That includes 79% of registered voter Democrats. So about 80% and only 47% of Republicans. And what I thought was really interesting thinking about this when I was looking at some of the, the most vaccinated groups and the least vaccinated groups, the most hesitant groups, and, you know, among the most vaccinated groups, unsurprisingly, is people over the age of 65. And that's a group that we tend to think of as probably being, you know, especially in Texas, significantly like, more likely to be Republican than Democrat. And I can't help but think to myself that if 80% of people over the age of 65 weren't vaccinated, and this weren't such a priority, both from a policy standpoint, from a public health standpoint, and I think from a personal standpoint, those Republican vaccination numbers would likely actually be significantly lower than they already are. Uh, and so some of this is just, you know, it's just sort of interesting. I mean, the COVID stuff just provides such an a great interplay of so many factors, I think, that we we tend to look at. And it's, you know, I think we're going to be mining this for a really long time, to be honest. Yeah. We just have a few minutes left, but I wanted to give each of you a chance to point to something in the poll that we haven't talked about that that kind of jumped out at you. Josh, you want to jump into that? Yeah, let me stay on COVID for a second. You know, I mean, I think one of the other interesting things in this is, is the way that we think about mask wearing you know, the way that mask wearing has been considered kind of throughout the pandemic. And when it started, you know, really quick, there was a lot of framing about, you know, the, the, the partisan and political identification of mask wearing and that it was a statement or something and that, you know, Republicans weren't wearing masks, Democrats were. And, you know, Jim and I always had a problem with this. And I think we wrote about it because the data never really supported that there was a massive partisan gap. I mean, once we cut the, the pandemic got rolling and the, and the advice became consistent, you know, Republicans were wearing masks at pretty comparable rates to Democrats. The really interesting thing is here we are now a year and a half, or not a year and a half, but over a year out from when we first started polling on this. I think we have six or seven polls. We've been tracking this stuff the whole time. And the trend has been that, you know, again, Democrats still express significant degrees of concern about, about the virus, about its spread, about contracting it. Republicans significantly, significantly less. And Democrats are still, even though, again, going back to what I just said, even though four and five Democrats say they've been vaccinated, they're still wearing masks. They're still, you know, not living their lives normally. There's still a lot of activities they won't engage in, despite the fact that, you know, it's summertime, we're being told it's okay to do a lot of things, especially outdoors. And it's funny because I would say if anything now, you know, this sort of resistance to re-embracing life is almost kind of actually the, the political identity piece that we were blaming Republicans for at the beginning of the pandemic. It wasn't true then, but it's actually looking more and more true now as Democrats still adhere to Social distancing, you know, measures uh, still adhering at extremely high rates to sort of just not engaging in activities, even though they're the ones who are vaccinated. 
So that's sort of the really kind of interesting in the poll thing that I that I was looking at with respect to the COVID numbers. Yeah. Darren, what sticks out to you that we haven't talked about? Well, we had a, a, a small battery of questions where we asked about the uh, the efficacy of uh, uh, state and local governments offering economic benefits, like, you know, reduce property taxes to get businesses to move to Texas or to expand their current operations there. And, uh, you know, the it's interesting. People say we should do that. There's a plurality, 42%, but 31% said we should not. And, and a comparable number, 27%, just don't have any opinion on this. We coupled that with a question that I really like, which is, should benefits that should companies that don't create the jobs promised be forced by state and local governments to pay back the tax breaks or other economic benefits that they received? 77% said yes. Um, and I just want to highlight not only the particular finding, but something that often eludes us or doesn't get enough attention, and that is despite Texas being a business-friendly environment, and there's a lot of sentiment to, uh, to sort of foster that, um, I've seen this not only from this result, but in questions like should businesses be held accountable for uh, hiring, hiring undocumented workers and stuff like that. There is a strong sense of business accountability that, that permeates public opinion in the state of Texas. And I think it's something that, you know, if we're talking about enterprising legislators, uh, something you could rally public support around. Yeah, I think one of the answers on this should have been hell yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just to see just to see what the intensity was. Jim, how about you? Yeah, I'm glad Darren flagged the business stuff because I think it's it's fascinating and we haven't really we haven't done much with it yet. Um, you know, I'm gonna be a little bitchy and say that, you know, one of my favorite items on this poll is we asked how much have you thought about who you're supporting in each of the following offices in the 2022 election. Mm-hmm. I call this like the Evan Smith question. <laughs> and um You're on your own, you know, buddy. Basically <laughs> only 37% said that they had thought a lot about who's, you know, who they're going to support for governor. So I think that, you know, everybody not, you know, we need to, you know, I think it validates our decision to cool our jets on starting to do trial ballots before they're in the nominees, before it's even, we're in the election calendar year. It's summer, uh, the COVID, you know, the, the pandemic is winding down. You know, if, it, if people are thinking about public life, they're thinking about whether their air conditioning is going to work in the summer. They're not thinking about the election yet. And anything that we ask about that now is, you know, if not utterly meaningless, it's nice for parlor games, but it's not it's not going to yield us anything useful or predictive. OK, and we know Evan has your number, so good luck with that. Um, <laughs> We'll end it there. He's not going to listen to this. (laughs) All the time we have, unless 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 somehow we tag him in the in the in the Twitter. Uh, Oh, I'll I'll tag him. (laughs) Trust me. Uh, Thanks, thanks to Spoon for our (laughs) thanks to Spoon for our theme music, and to Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, Texas Association of Community Colleges, Independent Colleges and Universities of Texas, and the Texas Association of School Business Officials, our sponsors this week. On behalf of Josh, Jim, Darren, and our producer Michael Ray. This is Ross. Thanks for listening. Do I have to talk you